Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Ava Helen on the line. Ava, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Great to have you on the show. You've got a book and we're going to dive into that, but why don't you share a little bit about you and we'll dive right into the conversation. Uh, so I'm on a new journey as of the past few years. I was in tech for 20 years, um, you know, technology-related industries, actually running software companies. And uh, then about five years ago, I was done with that and I thought, hmm, what should I do now? It is time, as many people who find themselves kind of in the middle of their lives, hopefully, um, to say, well, how can I give back? What else can I do? How can I support others rather than just um, striving so hard to build what our family needs? So, yeah. It's amazing work. And I came from IT. I've had many, many careers. Uh, And IT was definitely one where it was fun while I was in it. But believe me, I'm thankful that I'm not, Uh, especially during this pandemic. I'm sure it's been really, really stressful for those that work in the IT fields to keep up with all the demands with everybody working from home and all of that good stuff. So let's dive into your book. Um, I always ask this of authors, why would you give so much of your time uh, to write a book? Because it is a very time consuming endeavor for sure. So why don't you share a little bit about the book? Well, you know, so first I just want to go back to what you just said about kind of leaving tech. I can't seem to leave. I keep getting drawn back into it and I still love it. And it's kind of like a warm cushion. Um, Even going into the company where um, I'm on the board, you know, when I get to have kind of conversations that are beyond just the board conversations, I really feel so much at home. And tech is really the industry that I'm primarily addressing in this book. The book is called Women in Tech, a book for guys. So the approach to addressing things like how do we build more diverse teams and a more inclusive culture, I've taken an untraditional approach to it and done it in my own way. I can't say that I was at all committed to the to the topic, even though I was, you know, a woman in tech and very often the only one in the room, the only woman in the room, um, more often than not, for many, many years, it still wasn't something that I was thinking about constantly. Like, how do I hire more women? How do I hire more minorities? How do I, how do I build an inclusive culture now? But now that I'm working on this every day, I see the need everywhere. So every time that I have a conversation with anybody in the tech industry, I get an opportunity to speak at an event or have meetings with these people. The need for what I'm doing and what I'm writing in the book is it's everywhere. Yeah, my time in tech was from the late 90s until 2007. And I agree with you. You know, many of the organizations I worked with, it was majority male driven. Uh, there were some females and uh, people of, of, of different cultures, which definitely made it uh, a little bit more well-rounded, but still it was slanted to that. And you know, the approach and 
workplace culture and nuances and all of those things long before you know, what we've seen in society in the last few years where there's been thankful, you know, long overdue, a focus on diversity, inclusion, you know, the Me Too movement, all the things that we've seen thrown into uh, the ingredients with the ultimate goal of, all right, we all have a role to play. Let's lean in and bring out the best of our individual gifts to make the team more wholesome and amazing to be able to do all the things that we can do. No, doesn't matter what industry it is, but in, in technology, for sure, because the pressure is there. Uh, you know, the the uptime. You know, if you go to a website and we see it on social media, if any of the social media channels are down for more than half a minute, everyone's losing their minds because we've been so accustomed to things just working. Well, on the flip side of the screen are people that work for those organizations that are scrambling to figure out what broke. And it's not like there's a little red arrow saying, like, okay, go to this data center over here in Sacramento and, and upgrade this switch and everything's good to go. Yeah. No, it's, it's not that simple uh, because our networks are, uh, can be you know, pretty complex as far as to deliver what we need to do uh, when it comes to IT. So, so what, no. what, go ahead. No, for sure. And I think, you you know, your point about the, there's people behind everything and we need those people to, to thrive and feel good and to feel seen and heard and respected for their opinions and their ideas. And so, so traditionally, um, you know, and I, you know, another thing too, tech is so far, so far forward in so many different areas. Why wouldn't we be the first industry to really, you know, take care of these employees. And I can see a lot of the big companies, a lot of them in San Francisco are really taking great care of their employees in many ways. And they're working very hard. Now, the difference in what I'm doing versus what's done, even in those places, um, this work that I'm doing is complementing processes and procedures and um, ways, programs that have been implemented. So if Five years ago, no companies had diversity and inclusion officers. Now, a lot of them, of the big ones do, and the smaller ones don't yet. Uh, So, it falls to HR to kind of figure out what is it that we need to do, what's the most important, and a bare minimum, you check off the boxes of, you know, everybody goes through the sexual harassment training, a lot of companies have an unconscious bias training, and so on. My work is to complement that. I find that when we throw a lot of people into the same workshop, doesn't matter if it's men or women, but men specifically in this particular scenario, you throw them into the same workshop, you deliver the same message to all of them. 50% of them you've lost before they've even entered the room, virtual or physical room. And then you'll lose another 30% before you're halfway through your presentation because you're not speaking to them individually. You're speaking to them as a mass of people, assuming that everybody has the same starting point. You and I are approaching this topic completely differently because we have different starting points. So my idea is try to give people an opportunity to identify with what I've done, seven character prototypes and say, are you starting here or are you starting there? And depending on First and foremost, kind of your background, where you've grown up, if you've been bullied, if you've been a bully, if you um, are have an understanding of what equality in a workplace might look like is equal opportunity given everywhere. Are you willing to support women and minorities at all? 
And if you are, great. What are you actually doing? And so when I did the interviews, my research for this book, these were questions and conversations that I had with um, over 60 men uh, in, in the tech space, from CEOs to individual contributors. And I took all that material and, and looked for patterns and then categorized them. So I have seven character prototypes. And so after speaking to somebody for a little while or them reading about it, they can see, oh, I think I might be Cree. And then I say, well, Cree, do you aspire to support women or minorities and minorities in one way or another? Yeah, I would like to do something, but I don't know what to do. Let's see what Al is already doing. And I, Ava, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm simply going to let you read what Al is already doing. And then the ladder goes like that. And I call it the matrix, not the ladder, because there's so much uh, data behind it. Um, But it's really a way for people to be met where they are and understand how their little contribution can matter aside from programs and processes that are already implemented that may or may not work very well, depending on which company it is. I've been fortunate in my career that I, well, the area that I grew up in was multicultural. And my first job working at a grocery store, my bosses were female and I worked with all kinds of different uh, people, uh, male, female, uh, from a variety of different countries. And, and so that was normal for me. And then as I started getting into the corporate world and working in places, that's when I would notice, wait a minute, this looks very specific to one gender or one race or one background type of thing. And I always felt uncomfortable in those settings because it's like, well, this is not what the world is like. This is this little microcosm of things. And thankfully in my career and the multiple stops that I've had in different industries, I always thrived in those areas where there was so many different inputs because those inputs provide different insights. You know, the experiences that we all bring. And, you know, I love the, the work that you've done when it comes to we all come to this at different levels. Well, that's, that's great because then it's more individualistic as far as when we start working with people, meeting them where they are. Because I agree with you. So, okay, we're going to have an in-house session on inclusion. Well, again, if, if people don't think that there's an issue, then they're they're completely checked out before they walk in the room, if they even go into the room, where they don't recognize the other point of view of people that have wanted to work in this industry or in this organization, but haven't been able to because of whatever reasons happen to be. So being a little bit more aware of not only your own situation and where you are in life and experiences and and foundations of where you want the organization to be, but also what's the perspective outside of you? Because I worked for a healthcare organization several years ago, and we had an in-service day with our board of directors and our staff. And we talked about our organization, the beliefs and all that stuff. And we had outside facilitators that ran it. And after everybody you know, chimed in and all of that, they said, you've got like four different companies here, but there's only one company. It's like your perspective of what we were doing 
was different. And then we did work to kind of harmonize that to expand our you know own personal horizons on how things were being done, but also you know, just getting everybody a little bit closer into a cohesive unit, again, with all of their different backgrounds and experiences and where they happen to be. Yeah, no, you're right. And and so I come from, uh, I grew up in Northern Europe in a place where there was a lot of conformity and we were kind of being pushed towards the same place. If you were trying to excel, you were held back. If you were slow, you were, you know, ushered along or got extra help, um, which that system didn't work very well for me because I kind of enjoy, you know, meritocracy in the sense that it's nice to know that when I'm working really, really hard, I'm going to get rewarded. And that doesn't mean that that's going to work for everybody. That just happens to work for me. So, you know, to go back to, to these people that come into the room and that you're talking about, you know, the four different companies became, becoming one company, I think to some extent it's good. The thing to keep in mind, regardless of what your end goal is, if your end goal is to kind of conform and get people more like a cohesive mass, or if it is to, like I'm trying to do is to accelerate everybody so that everybody is able to move up on this matrix, then it's really a question of finding their individual motivation. And like you're saying, that person who doesn't even recognize that there is no inclusion in the company, that person probably might only get motivated by facts. So then you have to give them facts. You have to show them the statistics. You have to say things like, you know, these renewed reports that are coming out now that in 2025, the tech field is going to be short 1.2 million people. <laughs> That's a lot of people we need to go and dig up now so that we in three years are not going to be that short staffed. We'll probably, even if we put all of our efforts towards that, we'll still be halfway short, I'm sure. But the other thing is, as you're, like you're saying, depending on what the end goal is, if it's to conform or to accelerate and excel everybody upward, um, is to, to make sure that people are close to their comfort zone. So if I'm asking you to do something, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that's extreme or crazy in your mind, but I'm simply going to ask you to do something that's just a tad bit outside of your comfort zone. So if you, as an individual, for example, are supporting a woman who is close to you, maybe it's uh, your sister or a partner or a cousin or your daughter, somebody who's fairly close to you and may even be a woman who, you, who works on your team. And you're saying, I don't think I'm supporting anybody. Then I'll be like, okay, well, are you supporting any of these people that are close to you? Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. My daughter just helped her, you know, with her college applications or this woman I've been working on with for a long time. We definitely, you know, get along really well. And, you know, I ask her about, you know, how her weekend was. And so you're seeing her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's support. So let's look at what something just a little bit more than that might look like. I'm not going to tell you to go and change the whole structure of the organization to improve the culture or to start implementing programs or be a, a role model for other men. That comes way later on. But once you start giving just small suggestions that will bring you just a little bit outside of your comfort zone, you know how you grow when you're outside of your comfort zone? And so you grow a little bit and then you master those tasks or those things that you want to try out, 
and then you're ready for the next step. That's kind of how it works. I love that method because it also builds confidence because some people get to be very, I don't want to say stuck in their ways. I'll say comfortable. We'll use that. And for them to want to get to the next level, they say, oh, that's a big mountain to climb. It's like, no, it's just a little step here, a little step there. And then momentum kicks in. And again, it gives you opportunities to do the next step. But it also can inspire and also gives clarity on other things that they might be working on that may not be related to this particular task, but it gives them some awareness and insight on, you know, this could actually be approached this way on something else that I've been dealing with or been stagnant upon. So it's, this work is one of those things where, yeah, you're, you're focusing on one thing, but our natural tendency is to go, oh, wait, that could be beneficial over here or maybe it's just me that does that but i i like looking at opportunities okay what does this do for me the people i serve and all that now is there anything that i could use in other areas where this could be beneficial is there something that i'm doing over here that could be added to this to make this better to obviously you know grow and inspire others and all that amazing work yeah and i think you know I don't talk about it in the book and not when I'm presenting on stage, but like this, I can say that, you know, being aware of our fears is so important. And I don't expect any of these guys to dig too deeply. Rather, I'm trying to de-dramatize this whole thing. I'm trying to make it easily accessible. I want them to go, oh, this is a cool book. Let me pick it up. Let me try to figure out which character prototype am I and what do I do to climb to the next level? But the important things are, you know, like you were saying, the confidence. And the confidence comes with trying out the actions. And so when you're outside of that comfort zone, you're trying something a little bit, like you're saying, it builds the confidence and fear just vanishes. And that's what I'm after. Because in so many scenarios, you know, men will come up to me and say th simple things like, you know, I don't know how to approach this. I don't know how to talk to her. I don't know how to address uh, this woman who is pregnant. I don't know how to talk to this woman who, or this man who comes from a different, you know, culture and background. Why doesn't he ever want to come out with us after work? It doesn't have to be men, women. I had to start there because I happen to be a Caucasian woman. So I had to start from my point of view and I don't want to overwrite anything. But I also think it's important to know that it really applies to anybody in power and the other person has less power. Like it's it's really a power relationship. So if that is a um, a man and a woman, or a man from a majority and one from a minority, or whatever constellation you want, it doesn't really matter. But it's really a question of trying out actions, building confidence, and just seeing that fear kind of going away. And like you're saying, you could do it in any scenario, not just at work. Yeah, you know, we think back to all the things that we do, well, I don't want to say easily, but much easier than maybe years ago, and we don't think about it. You know, I was on a call the other day with somebody, and they were talking about sales calls and how to overcome the fear and all of that, because a lot of people have stage fright when it comes to cold calling or any type of call or speaking on stage or anything like that, and I have no problem 
with it now. Now, in my earlier years, making a phone call to a prospect or even to an existing client would have taken a lot of courage and strength because I had this apprehension about it. And I worked through that. And now I don't even think about it. It's like, oh, I have to call somebody at two o'clock. Great. I call them. I don't think about anything of what are they going to say on the other line? You know, all the, I don't think about any of those things because I've moved past that fear and the fear of public speaking. I've moved past that fear. doesn't mean you don't get nervous because you're excited about being able to present on whatever you're going to speak on. But uh, that fear that I had when I was younger, you know, going back to elementary school, yeah, that's, that's long gone. And it, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. No, and it's interesting because there's, um, so the, the, the seven character prototypes on the matrix, the top three are advocates, and then you have three allies and the chauvinist is at the bottom. And the main, one of the main differences between the advocates and the allies is exactly what you're talking about. It is um, the, the ability to move focus from oneself to other people. And once that shift happens, it's very, it's still there in the allies. So even if they're supporting somebody close to them, or even if they love working on, you know, mixed teams, and even if they love and are, have started to mentor women and they're a mentor part of a, you know, a big program or just by themselves, there is still more focus on themselves than when you move up to the advocates because the advocates have completely shifted the view and all they're seeing is either one person or a group of people who they're trying to encourage, inspire, motivate, change, you know, get to do something. And it's pretty magical when you get to that point, especially like as, as a public speaker, I remember <laughs> all the presentations that I did when the focus was still on myself because I was so s- conscious about what I was talking about and afraid that my audience would know it better than me. And then finally, you shift and you're saying, I'm delivering this mes- message as a present to the people who are listening. Let's make sure that they understand what it is that I'm trying to say. And you almost become invisible yourself on stage or on the phone or whatever it is. Yeah, that's great. Well, my my overcoming speaking was because of chicken pox. But uh, people are familiar. Uh, real quick, I was in in, in college, um, and I was twenty one years old at the time. And uh, my brother, who's five years younger than me, got chicken pox at sixteen. And you know, we had everything when we were kids, but we for some reason we never got chicken pox. So he gets it at sixteen. And then the last day that I could get them, I broke out with them and I was in college. So obviously, you know, I had to take a week off from school, couldn't go anywhere and all of that stuff. And I was working as an accounting firm during U.S. tax season. So my bosses were none too pleased that I was going to be off for a week because, well, you know, they didn't have anybody else to do what I did there. So I kind of created a little bit of a backlog. But I also, I had a presentation in a course that I was taking and I called the professor and said, I can't present this week because the week that I was off was the week that I was supposed to present. And I said, I'm going to be in next week. And he said, okay, well, we'll just shift you. That's not a problem. Now, 
I had them pretty severe. My face was really red and bumpy and swollen. My, I had everywhere but my feet. So I'll let you do the imagination there. It was not a, a comfortable experience. I mean, it was a horrible breakout of this thing. So after you know, I didn't need to be quarantined, I still looked horrible. So here I am, I roll into class, I'm nervous. And up to this point, you know, I was petrified of giving a presentation. But then, of course, now here I am, you know, looking like this. And I walked into the class and I sat down. Everybody knew that I had it, but you know, the professor had warned them. He said, okay, he's not contagious. You don't have to worry about it. Um, but you know, he let everybody know beforehand. So the professor comes in, sees me, says, Mike, can you come outside for a minute? I said, sure. So I went out the classroom and he says, look, if you don't want to give your presentation, that's fine. I'll give you a passing grade. Um, because uh, I want to, you know, I don't want you to have to go up on stage like that. And I said, Professor, I've been want, you know, I've been ready to prepare for this speech, and I've done all the preparation for three weeks now. I said, I've got everything ready. I've rehearsed. I want to give it. So I did, and of course, I was nervous and all of that. And after I finished, the class gave me a standing ovation. Now that talk was definitely not good. Okay, it wasn't a good paper at all. You know, and, and the presentation was great, but I had to ask, like, why did everybody give me a standing ovation? And they said, if you can get up in front of us and give a speech, looking as horrible as you do, you deserved a standing ovation. And at that point, my fear of public speaking died. Like, okay, because I'm never going to look that bad again, hopefully. And I realized it and it made things so much easier for me going forward. So everybody's got a story on how they were able to overcome a challenge. That happens to be mine as far as speaking goes. Yeah, well, you know, practice makes progress or whatever it is they say nowadays. It's not like you had to do it multiple times to master it. So good for you that you only had to do it once, right? Exactly. So. Ava, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you, this amazing book, and all the great work you do? Two places. LinkedIn is a great place to find me, Eva Helen. Uh, and EQ Inspiration is my website, eqinspiration.com. That's it. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So thank you so much again for your time. Really love this conversation. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.